With Friends Like These is brought to you by Script. So much to read, to watch, and to listen to, and nothing you really feel like, right? Maybe that's because you kind of see the same thing everywhere. Scribd is a library of ebooks, audiobooks, and magazines that's full of the deepest cuts of everything. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and even more. You'll get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've already read, which makes choosing your next book or whatever that much simpler. Maybe you can't figure out what you're in the mood for. Maybe you can't figure out what mood you're in. Try sampling something you definitely won't get on another streaming service. Sheet music, vintage cookbooks, and court filings. Because sometimes there's nothing like a good Supreme Court dissent, right? Instead of standing in front of a bookshelf waiting for a title to jump out at you, sign up for Script. You get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, historical documents, and more, all with one low monthly subscription. Scribd is also a great place to find academic papers, which is personally my idea of a good time. And not just academic theses either. There's also lesson plans and class presentations, which are actually super handy if you want an overview of an issue or event. Find out what a teacher thinks, right? With Scribd, the world's most fascinating library is at your fingertips. It's all just $9.99 a month. You enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book. It couldn't be simpler. No complicated credit or additional purchases. With Scribd, you can access the largest digital library in the world right from your favorite device. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash friends for your free trial. That's Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash friends to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. This week, I am talking to two people who are, as they say, friendship goals, a relationship they've maintained despite or perhaps because they've been in the same band for over 30 years. Rhett Miller and Murray Hammond are the old 97s, an alt-rock slash alt-country band that survived about 20 different musical trends and is still going strong. Their latest album, 12th was released last year. As we bring our music month and this podcast to a close, I wanted to end with a conversation with friends exactly like these. Rhett and Murray, welcome to the show. Hi, Anna. Woo! It's hey. really happening. <laughs> it's hey. happening. Uh, I'm super excited to have y'all on. Uh, this month has been music month, but in a, a little bit of, I think we're approaching music in a way that is a little bit from the side, which is talking about music and relationships, but not necessarily the relationships that are sung about, right? But how relationships on stage between band members and backstage, you know, the business of music. Uh, we talked to someone who's like an up and coming uh, musician in Nashville to talk about like how that works. And y'all are our long term relationship uh, experts. <laughs> so, so we're the we're the stones. We're we're the yeah, we're, we're right. the glamour twins. Okay, and you're the glamour twins, and you're also you've outlasted two of my marriages. So <laughs> I, I feel like maybe I should get some advice. I am actually not entirely kidding about getting advice. Um, so you you've been in the band together for twenty how many twenty some. Oh, Rhett, Rhett and I have been in a band together, quote unquote, since the 80s. It's just just how it is. The, the 97s were just like the longest 
and most recent chapter of all of it. But yeah, we we really, you know, we, we were in a band in 1990 together and we worked together in 88 and 89 and uh, and we just worked together nearly since the beginning wow. of Rhett, beginning of Rhett doing his thing. Rhett doing his thing. Yeah. Well, do you have a cute meat story? How did you? Yeah, we before? were both dating girls named Jennifer's. So we had we had <laughs> we had Jennifer's, and our Jennifer's were friends with each other. And my Jennifer said to his Jennifer, "Hey, I think you'd like my new boyfriend." And his Jennifer said, well, he should meet Murray and brought me over to Murray's house. And Murray set up a little recorder and I was 15. Right. And you recorded my first demos. Actually, it was uh, you were rehearsing with your Kingston trio folk trio in the maid's quarters of your mom's house. Oh, that's right. But by the way, sorry. Yeah, that, that's a you weird 16 that's years a weird, That's a weird thing to call it, by the way. It was a garage. I was going to say there's the so many stories court. like yeah. in that right. <laughs> just in that sentence. There's a lot of stories. <laughs> It was a garage apartment behind a humble little house that my mom lived in. And we did not have a maid, but there was a little tiny gross one room garage apartment with cockroaches. And that's where the musicians got, you know, it it was the teenage basement, but attached to the garage is what it was. (laughs) It was the the dumb, the dumb teammate teenage room. <clears throat> maid's quarter. Maid's quarter. <laughs> that's what you always called it. No, the, we did call it the quarters. Oh my god, I'd forgotten that we called it the quarters. The quarters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jesus so, Christ. And you probably played quarters in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was your den of iniquity. Yeah. So. Oh my god. Over this past month, and because of the shit I've been going through, I've been thinking a lot about relationships in terms of uh, ha- relationships that last, friendships that last, and how they are and aren't like, you know, romantic relationships. Some people might think that's a facile, you know, uh, comparison is to sort of obvious that platonic relationships are, are more durable. But I do think there's a falling in love moment for friendships, right? Yeah. It may be less obvious, but do y'all have a falling in love moment? Like a time oh. when you were like, oh, this is going to be, oh, yeah. this is going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I can speak for myself. I fell in love with him as his spirit and as a musician, nearly from that moment. It, it was really for me, we went down to see the Ramones together. Um, That'll do it. I mean, with, that's. It was within a <laughs> It was within a few weeks of us meeting and maybe even been within a couple of weeks of us meeting. I said, Hey, we're, you know, I, I can't remember who got the tickets. Maybe, you know, it, in those days, Ramones, Ramones might not have even sold out. It was 86 and the Longhorn ballroom where the sex pistols played had just started having shows again. And uh, yeah, anyway, but I got him in the van and, um, and he was just this little, fresh faced little child with big red cheeks and a leather jacket. And, you know, and I, I simultaneously admired him and felt sorry for him because he was so fragile looking. I just thought like he must've got picked <laughs> on a lot at school because he was cool and nobody likes cool. Nobody likes different. Nobody likes rosy cheeks. And, uh, yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I really like him. And, uh, and we had a great time last night. We or that night, you know, remember right? We hung out with chicken George and yeah, it was, so, it, was that the incredible. same for you, Brett? Was, oh, did yeah. you have the same moment? 
Yeah, well, you know, our relationship early on was very mentor. Like Murray was older and he was wiser and he was the singer of a band I really loved, the Peyote Cowboys. And I'd seen them play at the theater gallery and they were great. And he was so great. And it was this three piece. He played a 12 string electric guitar. And and um, and then so going to see the Ramones, whom I loved, but it's one thing to like love the Ramones and know about the Ramones, but to like be in the Longhorn Ballroom with this really cool, like actually successful rock and roller that's, you know, five years, seven years older than me or whatever. And, and it was, um, yeah, it was mind blowing. I was, I, I felt like I had been accepted into a club that I'd always wanted to be in. And Murray was my, my, my den mother slash, um, you know, whatever fraternity brother, whatever some, we were somehow family from that day on. Yeah. Rhett just had to do some serious massaging on the term success and successful there. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Rhett. Uh, <laughs> no, it was true. We, we, uh, his first two gigs were with my band and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, the first time I saw him, I said, Hey, are you, this is great. I adore what you're doing. Uh, are you, you want to come open for us? And Red said, no, no, I'm not ready. That's like, yes, you are. We're playing in two weeks. You're, you're opening for a band. Yeah. And that was, uh, was it Red Cross or the Pandoras? Red Cross. You had me play in between you guys and Red Cross. Okay. Like I did a little mini set. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can't remember. It was the beginning of it. Oh my God. Yeah. That was a, that was a great night too. So that it, way- it- like April eight, April eighty seven, April eighty six. This, this, no, this would have been uh, eighty six fall of eighty six. So we we okay. played. It was the second time we played with Red Cross, and oh no, that was the first time. It was uh, yeah, first time was uh, November. Cafe. It was it was November. I, I, mean, I do remember that October third was uh, the day I went over to see you play. I, I still remember that for some reason. So it may have even been by the by by. Uh, End of October of 86, yeah. 1986. Crazy. 16-year-old boy. And you had you'd only been 16 for a month. <laughs> I have to say, Rhett still could pass for 16, I think. Um, yes. <laughs> he's still a fresh-faced apple-cheeked young boy. Yes. So the the music part of this, the the musical um attraction, let's say, what was that? You said you loved what what Rhett was doing, Marie. Yeah. Um, what was yeah. it? What was it that called to you? Oh well, he he was writing. He was writing like in my mind, like like classically simple songs. He was writing writing classic songs. They they were, you know, verse chorus, verse chorus, middle break, verse chorus out. You know, they were they were like, I want to hold your hand and you know, and the Yardbirds, and they were, they were like 60s songs. And, and in the 80s, there was just a lot of largesse with songwriting. You know, there was a lot of more grand, you know, everything was The Alarm and U2 and NXS and all that. And, and, uh, and Rhett, well, he was like a huge Bowie guy and all that. But at the beginning, he was very much writing inside this sort of earlier uh, folk tradition that were pre-British invasion folk tradition with the uh, you know lamplighters and the Kingston Trio and Peter Paul and Mary and that kind of thing, Pete Seeger and all that and he and he wrote like that and Dylan and uh, so yeah and so I was like oh civilization 
know, and I was really happy to see that nobody I knew was writing like that. I was trying to write like that. And uh, so, and I also saw that like, oh, we could probably actually be in a band together. What about you, Rhett? Um, well, Murray was such a rock star in those days. <laughs> like the, the way he moved around on stage, he had hair down to like the middle of his bag, his shoulder blade length hair. And it was always like naughty and crazy. And, and, um, and of course he taught me to, he and his roommates taught me to smoke weed. You know, they told me what to be scared of about acid. You know, if you're on it, if you're too high, the, the cure is to take another hit. That's what they used to tell me. I'm like, this is, <laughs> pretty sure this is a bad influence. And I liked it. But yeah, there was, I just felt like, I felt like I had so much to learn about all the things. Like, obviously there's music. There's the, you know, the, the just setting up on a stage. How do you deal with the headliner? And then there was just the, how do you function in a scene where uh, there all the bands are different and and you, you know, like me, I was a teen folky and I was like, like Murray said, opening for Red Cross and later I'm opening for Lords of the New Church and like in there I am playing, you know, dumb, little folk songs. So, but if you are cool, which, which Murray was, and I was, and I was watching and learning and taking notes, you can fit in. So Murray's psychedelic band was able to open for like, pretty heavy punk rock bands and you know it's it's all about it's not about your music sounding the same it's about having like this you know playing nice be cool be be one of the you know the the friends at the table and it was it was sweet it was a great lesson and and uh joining joining up and and it's that's what music is it's just like collaboration not just musically but just day after day, you know, getting into a van and making an environment with a group of human beings and making it pleasant. And Murray taught me that. So I'm really interested in, in sort of the musical jibe, jibing part of this, especially since it's true, you were both playing music that wasn't quite in the same scene as it wasn't quite a part of the scene that you were in. And also wasn't necessarily obviously related to each other, right? So what was the chemistry of putting y'all together? Like what, what changed for both of you musically when you brought the two great tastes that taste great yeah. together? The 80s in Dallas, like you would not think that the things would all mix, but it was just, there was only like two clubs, you know, there's theater gallery and profit bar basically. And so it had to be, End over end and three on a hill and peyote cowboys and flaming lips would come through and the butthole surfers would come through and then you'd have a touring act from the west coast like red cross come through and 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 then you'd have like all the folk- weirdos had to stick together basically yeah. right yeah, you'd, yeah. yeah. so you, or you'd have like a folky like me or you'd have like leroy shakespeare and the ship of vibes playing reggae music and then eventually you had Edie and the new bohemians when they were just the new bohemians and they were playing like that barefoot hippie kind of music and and so like you nowadays um i feel like nobody could imagine like oh wait what are these bands all doing together that's crazy but you know we were just doing music and we only had like a couple of clubs to do it and there russell hobbs the guy that ran the clubs put on a savior we all called it uh was it savior life festival but it was yeah. the, the list was so crazy because it was just the most schizophrenic band list you've ever seen. But it nobody thought twice about it. So it wasn't as weird maybe now as it sounds. I also think that Rhett and I, we were a little bit on the outs. I mean, Rhett, 
Red had a funny experience that he could tell you about a lot better, but he was a real critic's darling there for a time. And uh, but then there was a moment where we were all kind of on the outs with the scene. And um, and we and I think it kind of glued Rhett and I together in some way. We believed in each other uh, when maybe the rest of the scene didn't believe in our our brand of things so much. I, I, and this is about I would say this is about 1990. 91, that kind of thing. And, and Rhett and I were a little uh, adrift for a while, uh, sort of create creatively. We, we had our loyalties to each other and we had, uh, we, we believed in what each other was doing. And, uh, and the rest of the scene, it was really dominated by very artsy jam based music. Everything was very kind of, you know, sort of funky and, and jazzy New Bohemians. They came. They came out of that that scene. It, it didn't produce big punk rock bands where we were at. It was. It was all very artsy, and we were still hugging to that kind of sixties, seventies, even fifties kind power of. Uh, yeah, a lot of power pop, and uh, you know things like the Everly Brothers. You know, like like and Beatles and and things like that. And uh, yeah, and and that that was a glue for us. And uh, yeah. It's really not bad to be be an outsider in a scene. It really does. It, it really does quite nice things, but uh, yeah. But but relation relationship wise, you know, we we had a community around us, but the community that really understood what we were doing was Rhett and me, and uh, community of two. A community yeah. of two, and and probably more than that, but in. For me, it was it was red. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because right around that time, it did start to harden, and I think part of it was the Nubos exploded. Like a, a, the, uh, I remember um, Island Records did the Sounds of Deep Ellum. The Buck Pets got signed. <laughs> like there was all this, there was all this success all of a sudden, and then there was more than two clubs. Now there was like five or six clubs. There was bands every night, and then. That was when we felt this really strongly in around 92, when 93, when the grunge explosion happened and all of a sudden the labels really did start getting applied and they would look at us and go, well, what are you? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm wearing Converse with duct tape on them. I'm playing a shitty electric guitar. So I guess we're grunge. And then we, we stood <laughs> on it. We stood up on a stage long enough, you know, trying to wearing this ill-fitting suit. And that this is to say like maybe three gigs where we were like, so do we fit into this scene? And then we were like, oh, I remember the night Murray and I lived together in Marquita Courts and SNL had uh, Nirvana on. And we looked at each other and we we're like, that was incredible. We can't do this anymore because we're not that we're not even close to that. Yeah. Do you remember like that, Murray? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the, the when you and I basically started this band, it was when I, you had gone to work or something. I was at home and I had just stayed up the night before listening to the Everly Brothers and Hank Williams and and uh, and living with the singer of like one of the primo quote grunge bands and. Dallas, which was Funland, they were called Funland, and, and Peter, the singer, was was my roommate, 
And I'm just like, it just hit me. I was like, this is ridiculous. Rhett and I are just, we, we are, have wandered so far from home, you know, from where we had kind of like when we were really true believers of our own thing. And we were, I think we're just so happy to get gigs and just kind of be able to be loud and the sort of surface fun of all that. But it, there was nothing deeper than that. And it was uh and it was a it was a real moment. He had he had played. He was feeling the blues too, and we were down there in a little coffee shop called uh, Chumley's, and he had played me this little song he wrote as a little country song, because uh, he was already writing writing that direction anyway, and uh, and it was called Saint Ignatius, and uh, and later it would open up the first old 97 record that we recorded, but I couldn't get the song out of my head, but more than that, I couldn't get the spirit of it. It, it had absolutely went back to the, the days when we really believed in ourselves, you know, deeply um, in the face of all, <laughs> in the face of everybody telling us that like, no, 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 you need to kind of go bigger than this. And, uh, and it was such a mustard seed. And I was like, and then so I called Red up or I wrote him an older center. I said, I, I went to Guitar Center today. I got rid of my electric bass. I bought an acoustic bass. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> you and I are going to like break up this grunge band, quote unquote. And uh, let's just go back to what we used to do. Let's just not give a flip about record deals or trying to play at the big clubs the big clubs, meaning like uh, <laughs> Club Clearview, these clubs, they were like 300 capacity clubs, huge, you know, and um, and let's go back to like how we were when we didn't care about that stuff. And and let's just play coffee houses and let's just go back, you know, I, I was gonna, that's the I, I portal was, forward, you know, so I, I was going to say like, all right. I was going to ask you if you could point at a song where you, you knew that you clicked. That you were like, this is this is what we're gonna do. Is that the song, Rhett? Was that the song for you? Well, Murray produced a record I made in high school, and there were some moments on that because Murray at the time was making um, a, an album that you released on cassette only, I think, called "The Waterling Wheel." Yeah, yeah, and his album "The Waterling Wheel" was very much like a Sid Barrett. I don't. I mean, Murray. I don't mean to. Oh yeah. What you oh did yeah. I was. Him. Yeah. Sid Barrett was a a massive uh, so, earth shaking thing. So yeah. So I I did this cassette. So yeah. it was like a lot of twelve string guitar and a lot of like this really beautiful. To call it psychedelic is is uh, misleading a little bit, but it was this really beautiful stuff. And then Murray came in and did. Uh, produced my solo record when I was like 17 years old. And, um, and a lot of what we did was the real kind of folky. We had the, the um, drummer from the new Bohemians come in and do like, you know, whatever hand drums. And it was yeah. very, that kind of vibe, but there were some moments where Murray would play electric guitar that would get kind of like this, a waterling wheel sound. And we, we would do things where all of a sudden it felt like we were making music together like he was producing me but we were also like really collaborating and it was oh, feeling yeah. like we felt like a band like the beginning of a band and mm -hmm. so then we did 
he convinced me to drop out of Sarah Lawrence, give up my full scholarship, which now that I have an 18 year old who's waiting to hear back from colleges, just <laughs> made my stomach turn to even think about <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, so we came back to Dallas and started, uh, um, our band Sleepy Heroes, which was like a power pop three piece uh, band, and that was so fun. But that was that was so that was me and Murray staying up every night till three or four in the morning, you know, eating Reese's and smoking pot and drinking strawberry milk and and like writing these power pop songs and and that was so collaborative. In fact, right right now, Murray and I, I'm. I had this idea for the next old 97s record. I really wanted to, and it actually goes well with the theme of, of your podcast right now. I really wanted to fly out to LA and just be with Murray and write songs like we used to just sit in a room and go, Hey, what about, what if we did this and just try to sit down and write a song? Cause now mostly it's, he'll say, I've got this piece and he'll send me a recording of it, or I'll bring in a complete song or, you know, it's, it's very rarely, Strawberry milk in the solitude of night, as I said in Seventeen magazine in 1989 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'd like to do again because that's that's an incredible feeling to just sit down with your friend and where there was nothing, suddenly there is something beautiful. But if we had to play something, yeah, for people to hear what you might think of as that first spark, um, what can we play out to an ad right now? So St. Ignatius, I think, would be as good as any because we we had done all of these things that hinted at what we could do together. And and they were all interesting, certainly, and useful, but none of them was successful, by which I mean none of them really succeeded as its own piece of art, maybe. And uh, until St. Ignatius, and St. Ignatius kind of has it all because it's Murray and I with our weird, you know, folk slash psychedelic slash Carter family um, song structure. It's uh, it's me singing about Plato in a country song, you know. And we'd finally found the you know the foils to our Everly Brothers duo in Ken and Philip. And I think yeah, of of all of our songs, that the the, the opening track on the first old ninety sevens album, uh, Saint Ignatius, is probably best representative of the, the moment we sparked. So let's listen to a bit of With Friends Like These is brought to you by DoorDash. What do you want to eat tonight? Maybe you want a home-cooked meal, but don't feel like going to the store. Or you want something exciting and new, but it'd be great to stay in. DoorDash connects you with everything you want, whenever and however you want it. 
Get what you want to eat right now and right to your door with DoorDash. Along with the restaurants you already love, you can get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Get drinks, snacks, and other household items in under an hour. Craving late night ice cream? Forget that one key ingredient for dinner. Or maybe you just need to stock up for the week. With DoorDash, get everything in one app. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is easy. Your items will be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code FRIENDS. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code FRIENDS. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ritual, the multivitamin company you know and trust. Maybe you think protein powders are just for bodybuilders or body hackers, but the truth is deep down, as in at the cellular level, we all need protein for more than just muscles. So Ritual's team of scientists reimagined protein powders from the ground up and inside out, from how they're made to who they're for and why they're needed. The result is a delicious plant-based protein powder offered in three premium formulations for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs, all made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability the Ritual is known for. Whether you're doing reps or going on dog walks, introducing Essential Protein, here to shake things up. I am not always a breakfast person, and it's funny how most of the quick breakfasts out there are carbs or fruit. You usually have to cook your proteins. You can't do that in a hurry, but essential protein powder makes it easy to start your day out with a healthy serving of protein. Just add water, shake, and sip. You deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you'll always know what's in their formulas, where the ingredients come from, and why they're included. So why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new, less scary, Ritual is offering a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, my listeners get 10% off their first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash friends and add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash friends. With friends like these, it's brought to you by stamps.com. If you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic, why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. What I love about stamps.com is that I can get my shipping done as I complete each package rather than stocking up everything for that one big trip to the post office. Maybe I mail one box every day and each of them gets there a little bit quicker rather than putting them in a pile and taking them all at the end of the week. Whether you're selling online or running an office or a side hustle, stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip. And get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and up to 76% off UPS. If you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mailing and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You'll save so much money, you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. Save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. Sign up with the promo code FRIENDS for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code FRIENDS. That's stamps.com, enter code FRIENDS.
So, Rhett, you thought that song would make a good bookend to St. Ignatius. I mean, to me, yeah, that song is such a time travel. St. Ignatius, I wrote in a a large closet under the stairs that led to the uh, apartment above mine in Marquita Courts. Um, I was living with Ivy at the time. We, we just started, We Murray and I had just sort of come up with the idea to do whatever this thing, or as he explained, like it, this was the very earliest days of, of old 97s. So when I was writing the dropouts, I was um, traveling in my mind back to that same apartment complex. And, you know, it's that's, you know, everybody's flying in a harmony rocket. That's the kind of guitar that Ken, Ken Bethea moved in across the hall for Murray um, and would leave his door open. And you could see he had this cool hollow body, like rockabilly guitar, this harmony rocket. And it was a cheap guitar, but it was so cool looking. And then we heard him playing accordion and we're like, maybe that guy could be in our band with us. um but yeah that's to me that's that song is it's so fun you were the dropouts like we all had dropped out of school to to some degree we had all were we were all attending the school of hard knocks and we were getting this education working at restaurants or at answering services doing these horrible jobs and the only light at the end of the tunnel was this possibility that our bands could be more than just free drinks you know and and I but I do think we believed that even in the darkest days I I thought we knew that we were we had value beyond just being you know sad guys that could talk about the the dreams we had once had and had now given up Ray, yeah. is he romanticizing that at all oh you know as soon as he as soon as he said the dropouts like oh wait a minute yeah the dropouts we dropped out in our 20s and here we are. Yeah, yeah, that's the dropout he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the one that lasts your entire life. And happily, we found this music world in our 20s so we could like take, a, take several bites out of it, you know, 10-year bites. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he's romanticizing it, and he should, he should romanticize it because that's, at the end of the day, that's how I experience it. It was really interesting talking to Kathy Valentine about her experience with the Go-Go's because, you know, they made it big immediately, basically, right? Like it, they didn't have a super long time of being the struggling band, you know, playing for tips and whatnot. But you, what you were saying reminded me of what she said, because she doesn't romanticize it. It's just, she admits like that was the best time of her life. I mean, just objectively, like why would you romanticize it? Right. So what's the best time of your life right now, writing songs, the fact that you wrote a song about when you got together, I mean, that's nostalgia, but what's the best part of being together now? Man, uh, I, I have a hard time with nostalgia and I feel like whenever I do the thing where I, um, you know, a uh, comparison is the death of joy. And I look at someone's life and I think, why do they get to have a $150,000 guarantee? Why do they get to headline Carnegie Hall? Whatever the thing you can think when you, when you begrudge someone else, their success, which what a shitty thing to do anyway. Yeah. But, um, um, I, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been pretty good about not going too far down that rabbit hole. The, one of the things I come back to is the idea that I have lots of friends who had a hit, Maybe it was in the '90s, and it's it, it it calcifies you during a moment in time, and then the rest of your life 
it's funny for for Kathy, you know, talking to her about the Go-Go's, it was five years of her life and it's been over for well decades. They still they, play. Let's they do just... every reunions. I know. Yeah. Right. Once a Go-Go, talks... always a Go-Go. <laughs> when she <laughs> talks about the greatest time of her life, though, right. it's not like the 88 reunion. Right, <laughs> right, right. I did see that and it was a great tour. Um <laughs> Red Cross opened, actually. Yeah, Red Cross. I, saw, I was there. Yeah. Yep, we were there. <laughs> but um, there was a war between Red Cross and the audience that night. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, because the band they, was at war with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> they nearly just got chairs thrown at them by the end. Of <laughs> I anyway. sort of want to find out more about that. But rock and roll, mate. Rock and roll. We'll move on to. I think you were making a good point, Rhett, about uh, having how having a hit calcifies you. Yeah, but but so I think this weird career that we've, I would say we backed into it, but I do think that's sort of selling ourselves short. Even when we were wined and dined by 15 record labels offering us the moon, we always said, we don't care about having a hit. We want to have a long career. We want a catalog that we'll never be embarrassed of. So we didn't do what a lot of bands did, where you go find the flavor of the moment and you go make a song that's like, you know, one of those, the nineties, those insipid songs that were like, so I sway. And there's like some like overproduced thing and it gets played on a uh, one tree Hill or J- Dawson's Creek and you make a million dollars, but then the rest of your life, you're like, remember me? I was in that band in the nineties that had that song sway or whatever. And it's just an embarrassing moment that you can maybe live off of the rest of your life. The good thing is for us that we've never had that. So I feel like each record we make is our best record and each step of our career is the most fun step of our career. Like we, we have all this stuff coming up next year, some of which because of non-disclosure agreements, I'm not allowed to discuss, but I promise you that when I get to announce it, you'll go like, Oh, that's what he was talking about. We have this amazing stuff coming up. That's so fun. Are you going, are you going to space? Is that it? No, right. non-disclosure. <laughs> kind of. the biggest thing, biggest and most un- unexpected thing that, that people do these days. And it's randomly going to space. I think that's the, yeah. <laughs> so, but the good thing for us is there, there were dark times, certainly right. when the record label imploded and that coincided with me starting to make solo records and the band had to figure out if they, if the band could survive me making solo records. And, and for a minute it looked touch and go like there were dark times, but, um, we, you know, it's like there are every every year of our band has had glorious moments. And and I don't I look back sometimes on like ninety nine and I think maybe that was the peak because we sold our most records. The world was still our oyster. Like there was still the possibility that we could go on to be one of those bands that had a giant hit. But um I don't know. I didn't enjoy 99 as much as I enjoyed, you know, 2014 in some ways. So, yeah. You know, we, we, we always had the most fun in this band when it just seems like things were moving forward, whatever it was, it's, it's the addiction to progress that has always been so wonderful in in, in a band, you know, that that's why like my favorite moment in a, in the 97s is that period when we've just finished an album, but it isn't out yet. You go through this little tunnel. It's various lengths of time. It's at least a few months. Sometimes it's longer, but it's just pure um, uh, uh, 
you know, it, it's just pure possibility. You just you just swim in possibility. You're slathered in it, and it's just it's just so wonderful. And we're you know, and in those old days, quote unquote, there was a lot of that. But that's just because it was a lot of first. The first time we got to be on a record label in Chicago with Bloodshot. First time we ever got to do a major label thing, or first time we ever heard ourselves on the radio. First this, first that, and uh, and yeah, that's 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 lovely. That's that's our five years of the Go Go's uh, for us. But uh, happily, we still get to do that because, like Rhett said, we didn't get calcified early on with that odd hit that you know in, in a pop culture way pinned us to the wall where we could never unpin ourselves that we're permanently in a mural <laughs> of what was happening at that time and uh yeah and when people talk about 90s bands quote unquote I don't have to be, I have to remind myself, oh, are we a 90s band? And somebody will say, oh, I don't know, kind of, you know, we're not really a 90s band. We're not a 2000s band. We're just kind of this long thing. Are the Stones a 60s band? No, because they're not Herman's Hermits, you know. So, so not having hit, that was the plan all along. But yeah, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we figured that that was the... If it, it, in the likely case that we don't have one of those cuckoo hits, you know, uh, that we would just read the plus column to ourselves. And that's what it was. The plus column was that, yeah, we're we're going to way more have like the butthole surfers kind of thing. You know, we're way more going to have like this sort of more cultish, you know, sort of audience and all that. It'll just free us to do whatever we want forever you know and we still do it and um yeah and happily you know our our sound is very much a family sound so the next record is always sits nicely next to the ones before and then over time you get we get to have this really lovely amazing you know discography that i'm really proud of you know and uh yeah and, and and more than anything i'm just i'm just proud of like okay it has been a family sound this whole time the band members themselves are kind of this family thing it's been that way the whole time family 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 everything's sort of had this thread that's been unbroken i, I see exactly what you're talking about in terms of the longevity of the old 97s and them. it's funny when you say they're family at first i was like do you mean you don't curse in songs but i i don't think that's what you mean um <laughs> instead it's i i think what you mean there is like an intimacy um when you have a band that hasn't had a big hit right like when you're a fan of a band that's that's like the old 97s like every old 97 show i've ever been to has everyone is super fucking psyched to be there right like there's no like blase attitude towards an old night old night sevens you know you're not like trying to get the crowd worked up it feels like to me maybe maybe i of course i've missed some you're the ones that play every show. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing that um, Murray is referring to goes hand in hand with what you're saying, that we're like a secret that people get to share. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what's happened recently in the last 10 years or so is that our fans have grown up to the point where they then have families of their own and they share it with their kids. So we'll see parents and kids. And now those kids will have kids. 
And it's kind of insane, but we do wind up having entire families come. And, you know, we do, because if you stick around long enough, you lose friends and you lose collaborators. And, you know, we end up getting a lot of uh, stories of, you know, uh, friends, uh, fans whose dads have passed away and we were their favorite band or, you know, it's the, 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 the mortality that is on display with groups of people with, um, you know, who feel like a family, like we do with our fans. It's just, it's a, it's a lot. It can be a lot, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I have a hard time not getting really, you know, emotionally affected by it. In, in fact, I don't keep myself from it because I feel like it's good to just experience this stuff, but it is, it can be really heartbreaking to hear the stories of people whose lives you've touched and then maybe they've moved on and. Yeah. Yep. I think that that's really a wise uh, point to make about the fact that when you're together for long enough to pass through different stages of life, that some people do even pass to the final stage of life. Like that does create a kind of intimacy that no other friendship, that a friendship doesn't have until it's it's gone through that, right? Like- mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. sometimes that happens, right? I mean, people die young and yeah. friendships can, can gain that patina of loss all too quickly. But I think I get what you're saying, like to survive yeah. that. Well, it's funny because when you start, it's about free drinks. It's about, you know, appealing to the opposite sex or what, whatever shallow thing. But as you go, there's a moment, there's, there's these milestones, for me, there was realizing that there is a nobility to this thing that we're doing. Like there's, we're, we're making something beautiful and giving it to the world. And we, we sacrifice uh, security. We sacrifice sort of time at home with our kids. We sacrifice like the kind of normal quiet life that, that sometimes you really pine for. Um, so realizing that is is empowering because it makes you feel like, okay, because there's always the question, did I waste my life? You know, there's, there's these forking paths and you wonder if I had gone down that path, how much happier would I be? But, um, but we're on this path and this path has inherent value and it's really beautiful. But then as you get older, you know, we've had health scares in our band, Knockwood. I feel like everybody's pretty good now, but you know, Ken was worried about his health recently. I mean, at any given moment, we've all had, you know, uh, brushes with mortality and, um, eventually one of us will die. That's just how things are. But It'd be like, very unusual if no one did. <laughs> but yeah. that wouldn't be great. But okay. So like when you think about a long marriage, right, there's, it's so easy to come up with reasons why you would get the hell out of this marriage. This person's driving me crazy. Ditto for a band. But what are the, what's the argument for staying in it? Well, a shared history, um, you know, a long life together where you can point to, you know, important moments and milestones and meaningful, you know, uh, things that you've made together, experienced together. Like that's, that's something you can't uh, start from scratch and come up with within a year. Like it takes, that's the whole point. It takes 25, 30 years. You know, I'm coming up on 20 years of marriage right now. And it's that same question of, to stay married or not to stay married. You wake up every day with the option. Both of those things are on the table. And, um, and if you choose to stay married, you, you haven't f- 
thrown away the opportunity for the shared experience. In fact, there's a song on the newest old 97s album called the old Belmont hotel. And when I wrote it, I was using a hotel as a metaphor for a long love relationship. And it's, um, you know, our love is like the old Belmont hotel. Uh, it was in ruins. Now it's doing quite well. And it goes through all these, you know, metaphorical things that were bad and now they're good. And, and, um, it gets to the bridge, which is always, almost always the bridge is like the, let's, let's sum the song up for the listener. Um, so many times good buildings get torn down, raised to the ground because work is hard to do. And that's the band. And I remember when I was writing it, I remember thinking, well, this, this is a, it's kind of using a bit as a hotel as a metaphor, but really what I'm doing is I'm using a love relationship as a metaphor for this other love relationship that I've had with my three best friends for 30 years, almost. Yeah. I was going to also... ask about the rough stuff, actually. <laughs> uh, no, Murray, I don't mean to saddle you with that question, but Rhett did just talk for a long time. So um, what is what is the secret to a happy marriage? I mean, I, I think that you're right. Just the shared history in some ways doesn't get enough weight maybe if i can be an oldster in this day and age um you know when everything is new all the time i think sometimes the idea that just the simple fact of a shared history can be discounted a little bit um but there must be other ways that you get through the hard times right like Rhett was just talking about the time that the record label imploded and he was doing a solo album. Like Murray, from your point of view, what was the rough stuff you had to go through and then survive? Well, the, the rough stuff, um, you, you know, I, bands that last a long time, the, the word glue is, I, I would probably say in the top two or three words that you always hear there, the bands get glued together through adversity uh, that that shared history, that could be anything. It could be a lot of boredom and, and nothing happening, but nothing happening to the same four people. That wasn't really us. Uh, uh, for us, there, there was a, a great deal of just, you know, sort of shared goals, shared values, and, uh, and shared adversity. You know, the, it, it's funny how much glue you can get out of simply having the same memory of sleeping in the van during an ice storm and passing the whiskey around and trying to stay warm and turning the engine on and then going to sleep and then waking up in a fit because you're going to afraid you're going to die of carbon monoxide. So you turn it off again and then you freeze to death and then you turn it back on again. And you just, and just, just these kind of, these kind of gluing moments, uh, they, they take on a lot for people like us. And so when we hit moments of, you know, where we're challenged, you know, when Rhett was uh, going solo, it was the, the first time that we you know our our unit was we all of a sudden we were missing one of us and and uh and it was sad and we didn't know what to do with it we were sad and then we got mad at Rhett for being the one missing and even though our band wasn't ending or anything but it but it scared us because we we had built up a great deal 
of we 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 realized we already knew how much we valued our our friendship and our band, but we were scared that we wouldn't have that anymore. And uh, and that's scary, you know. That's scary. In, like Rhett says, scary in a marriage. What Rhett was simply proposing was an open relationship. I was going to say, <laughs> I actually I, have I have a question. The open is, relationship, I right? think, does not get get enough. Uh, you know, celebration. I think uh, uh, that that that's a uh, that's the part of marriage where the band is might be a little bit different than normal marriage. Open relationship is where open relationship is is usually really quite successful <laughs> in a band. You know? I was so. going to ask about that because you yes, unfortunately, you got me thinking the same exact um, way with uh, that metaphor. Right. But I wonder if maybe it's not an open relationship. It's just having a life outside. Right. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not that you're having a relationship with someone else, although you, yeah. it also could be in a different band, I think. Yeah. But the point is you're just, you, you remain a single person yeah. in addition to being a part of something. Yeah. For me, yeah. it was, yeah, we're talking about you. Right. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's right there. <laughs> I do think there's useful stuff in in here the you know transferable credits yeah, as it were right. um like uh being in a band is great it's a democracy like the sum is greater than the parts or whatever that expression is um but you know for me like i was i was getting told no a lot you know because i i had to submit to the greater will of the band um and so a lot of times that's what breaks a band up right and i and i could see if I kept having to just sort of eat it and not get my way over and over and over again, eventually I'd be like, screw you guys. I'm going to go do my thing. But I thought there's no reason I can't go and get my yayas out making this weird record and then come back to the band, you know? So I guess how it would transfer is I think that you could just, if you have needs why why hide them and resent the other person for not meeting them when you could just go to the other person and say, I need to go make this weird record with John Bryan and then I'll come back and make records with you guys too. So, I mean, I just, I spoke up for myself. I did what I, I encouraged my kids yeah. to do all the time. I self-advocated and they were, they were great. They were super cool about it. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it was rough, but it wasn't, uh, you know, a band killer. And it took a lot of pressure off the 97s, you know, uh, for, for Rhett to do go go solo the way he did. That was what needed to happen to take, you know, you, you don't want to just make a band provide every single thing when, when it's not really built to do that. It's, it's really built to do some things quite well. And uh, yeah, and, and I'm in the same boat, you know. I, I was going to say, you've recorded solo as well. Yeah, I record solo. I record solo now, you know. Um, and yeah, it, it, and a band can only kind of contain so much unless you're the Beatles putting out two albums a year, you know, <laughs> or something like that, you know. Um, you know, it, it, theoretically, we could do every single thing in the old 97s. But there'd be like four records a year. It'd be crazy. And they wouldn't all be good. You know, they'd be all over the place, you know, <laughs> which, you know, there'd be a reggae record, you know, there'd be, you know, it'd just be too much. And so, yeah, it, it, uh, it really, it really kind of did what, uh, yeah, Rhett, Rhett needed to do that. And there's, there's no good time 
to do that. You just got to do it when inspiration strikes. And, and that's the time to do it. That's the good time to do it. And that was when, you know, and, and he was probably late doing it. He probably needed to do that a year before. When you go away for a little while from the band and then come back, what effect does that have on the music? It's funny for me because since 2001, I've been doing that. Uh, it almost, you know, perfect alternation between solo record, right. band record. And it's great because, you know, I get lonely out by myself and I'm like, God, I, I miss those guys. And then I'll go back in and we'll make a record, we'll tour the record. And then I'm like, oh my God, I need to get the hell away from these guys <laughs> and start the cycle all over again. <laughs> Chasing the dragon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's nice that nobody, nobody really gets truly sick of each other. We just, we, we, we get together. We, we go through a whole experience of, we get a full belly, we get a full belly. And that's usually about the time something different happens. Anyway, we take time off of this, this or that and do our other projects and uh yeah it's it's been it's been a nice rhythm i i don't think we've ever hit where just like oh my god there's just been too much 97s let's do something else for a little bit it's always been kind of just enough and it just sort of it just naturally has kind of worked itself out so let's play out to roller skate skinny and then we'll come back from ads with timeline With Friends Like These is brought to you by Allbirds. Allbirds makes cozy shoes and apparel from premium natural materials. They're not just comfy, they're better for the planet. Allbirds are gifts that feel as good to give as they do to wear. I personally love their wool line because the weather in Texas is wild. It is 80 degrees today. It will freeze over the weekend. And their wool skimmers work for all of it. They are cozy when I need cozy, but I can wear them without socks and not worry about them getting sweaty if it's warm. Even better, I can just toss them in the wash. There's the classic wool runner, wool piper, and the new fluff collection that make great gifts that keep you comfortable wherever your feet take you. The Mizzle Collection keeps your feet warm and dry with cozy merino wool, no slip grip, and puddle guard technology. They are nice shoes for naughty weather. Allbirds Performance Gear stands up to the toughest workouts. Tree Dasher running shoes, natural run apparel, and the new trail runners are durable, comfy, and tread lighter on the planet. Their cushy wool dweller slippers, R&R sweats, and new merino wool scarves and beanies are the ultimate holiday companions. They're all machine washable, so they stay fresh and clean no matter how often you wear them. There's free shipping and free returns with delivery in time for the holidays. Also, Allbirds is on a mission to reverse climate change. They are a B Corp, making the environment a stakeholder in their business. We can create a more sustainable future together, but only if we tread lighter on the planet. 
So give comfort and feel joy this holiday season. Find your own pair or one to gift at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Script. So much to read, to watch, and to listen to, and nothing you really feel like, right? Maybe that's because you kind of see the same thing everywhere. Scribd is a library of ebooks, audiobooks, and magazines that's full of the deepest cuts of everything. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and even more. You'll get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've already read, which makes choosing your next book or whatever that much simpler. Maybe you can't figure out what you're in the mood for. Maybe you can't figure out what mood you're in. Try sampling something you definitely won't get on another streaming service. Sheet music, vintage cookbooks, and court filings. Because sometimes there's nothing like a good Supreme Court dissent, right? Instead of standing in front of a bookshelf waiting for a title to jump out at you, sign up for Script. You get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, historical documents, and more, all with one low monthly subscription. Scribd is also a great place to find academic papers, which is personally my idea of a good time, and not just academic theses either. There's also lesson plans and class presentations, which are actually super handy if you want an overview of an issue or event. Find out what a teacher thinks, right? With Scribd, the world's most fascinating library is at your fingertips. It's all just $9.99 a month. You enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book. It couldn't be simpler. No complicated credit or additional purchases. With Scribd, you can access the largest digital library in the world right from your favorite device. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash friends for your free trial. That's Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash friends to get 60 days of Scribd for free. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Some people don't like it when it gets dark early. Personally, I love it. I love it because I love going to bed. I love any excuse to sink into my Helix mattress and stay there for as long as possible. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everyone's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers. I took the Helix quiz and was matched with the Sunset Lux because I'm a side sleeper who likes a soft mattress. It's a huge upgrade over what I used to have and delivery and setup was fast and easy, almost too easy. It comes all rolled up and basically explodes once you take the plastic off, but it was very cool. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. Just go to helixsleep.com slash friends, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. 
but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash friends. That's $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash friends. So we've been using this metaphor um, or making the comparison between a band relationship and a romantic relationship. And and you've talked about what why you think the old nice heavens work. If I had to ask you outright, what would be your advice to a band? Let's let's not say, I, I am curious what you'd say to a couple, but let's start with another band. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I'll go. Um, I learned because of um my personality is that i always want to micromanage everybody i have all the answers i can tell you how to do that let me walk um i learned that i had to stop stop listen be quiet don't don't try and impose my will don't try and control everything let the other person do what they need to do and um basically what I think it comes down to is ego. I had to sort of check my ego. And I think that when you sublimate yourself to a band or a relationship or whatever, you're never going to win every fight. You're going to have to let the other person take up some space in the room. You're going to have to give. And it was really hard for me. And it took years and years. And I still haven't completely mastered it but um but i think that's i think that's the biggest trick is to is to give let the other person win some maybe they're right does he let you win yeah Yeah, he 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 does he does pretty good he does he does pretty good um yeah no i i i would say uh you know as much as you can do remember the 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 friendship and the bond you had when you first started all this stuff before all the before all the what became very complicated conversations about creativity and getting to songs and career decisions and that kind of thing and and I would say really truly value um, re- remember that your values are are pretty pretty close to pretty, pretty much the same. I mean, they're very similar values and your goals are very similar. Just, just don't forget your, the, the friendship part of it. Cause that, that will carry you through everything that will be the lantern that leads you to compromise. Um, that, you know, that that's the skeleton key that, that can uh, get you past a lot of difficult, complicated moments with each other that, you know, in another band could, you know, could uh, become a virus, an infection that ultimately brings a, a, a band down from, from inside, you know? And uh, yeah. And I, it's worked for us. Maybe, may, I, I think we got lucky with, 
we have four individuals that can take that, you know, that uh, th those operating instructions and kind of successfully do it. But but we also committed ourselves to doing it. We we already knew that that you know the the, the bond and the friendship was going to be hugely important uh, in the life of this band. So yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, that's what I think. Brett, do you mind talking a little bit about your sobriety? Not at all. I'm six and a half years into sobriety right now. Um, it's the it's the secret to happiness for me in my middle age, and I love it. And I highly recommend it to anyone that wonders if they <laughs> could do it. And it's so funny. I used to feel so sorry for people that had to get sober. I'd be like, oh my God, your life must be so boring and so sad. You never have any fun. You never laugh. You don't get to get wasted like me and my buddies. But there is uh there's happiness on the other side, and it's a lot clearer. It's a lot, um, it's a lot truer, I feel like. And I've never regretted it. I've never looked back. It's hard um, during the holidays being around the world, you know, the alcoholic world, which is a AKA, you know, the world. <laughs> it's um, you kind of don't really realize until you're on the other side, just how fueled by booze, you know, the, the folks around you are. And, and that, that goes, I don't think just for people in bands, but I think that's, you know, people in families people in jobs, people in everywhere. And it can be exhausting. I was at a holiday party last night and and sometimes you're just sitting there going like, I wish you folks could see yourselves. <laughs> I mean, I don't wanna judge you, but you're making it really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I'm joking, but I do, I, I really value it. I, the choice that I made for me had a lot to do with my kids, they were young and now they're, you know, freaking giant, but I didn't, I never wanted the phone to ring and my son or my daughter to be in a compromised situation and need my help and me not be able to help them. And so that was sort of what pushed me over the edge. I don't, I don't know if my marriage would have kept working if I hadn't gotten sober. Um, I, I didn't realize until I was sober, how much I needed to get sober. And, th and that's coming from a guy that used to, I used to write myself notes late at night you know, in a haze and say, it's time, it's time. Now is the time you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to think that this isn't true, but it's true. And I would wake up and crumple it up and throw it away until I didn't. And, you know, I'm so glad that I got there because I've never looked back. It's a, it's a beautiful world. Well, and I will, and yeah, I was going to ask, because yeah, I, I will a... pipe up that I have recently made a commitment to being sober as well. And uh, needed to happen for me as well. I uh, had a sort of a slow burn. I, I've been on and off with drinking for years and years and years. I, I went years without drinking and then sort of readopting it again when I was going through a divorce. So drinking because I was sad and scared. And then it went away again and it came back again and, uh, and sort of, uh, you know, COVID happened to be the, the calendar year that it sort of ramped up to a point with me that uh, I just I just need to get rid of it. I'm 57. 
this is not something to take into my 60s mentally or physically. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, Rhett's going to be one of my sober buddies that I'll, I know I can always call if I can say, Rhett, you're right about everybody at the party last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so much better. I have to say, I am thrilled to hear that. Um, yeah. like, I'm sorry that you felt like you had to make that choice, I guess, you know, don't push anybody uh, yeah, to go through a bad time, yeah. but, yeah. um, it's a pretty cool club to belong to, honestly. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, who, who we, got? we, we, got, think, we, we got. think we're cool. <laughs> we got Stephen King. Oh yeah. We got Gandhi. Gandhi. Well, um, uh, the, I, pro- I, the people who were like, oh, I'll uh, lower it. Okay. Well, I mean, there's lots of, I got Mary Carr, right? Like she, we were just talking with somebody about Mary Carr. She's kind of mm-hmm. awesome. David Carr, yeah. not with us, but also yeah. awesome. Kathy Valentine. Uh, Kathy Valentine. No, it's. Oh. I think it's a good club to be a, to be a member of. Yeah. It has very high initiation fee. You might say. Yeah. Um. It's <laughs> it's 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 tough to get through the hazing uh, <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. The good news is, like, once you're in, you know, you don't have to get hazed anymore if you don't want to. Uh, but this is great though, because I want to ask you both about the effect of sobriety on relationships and songwriting. Cause I know for me, you know, I have, I have friends who told me I didn't realize you're an alcoholic, right. Or I, or I thought you drink a lot, but I didn't, you know, whatever. But and my point is they didn't see a huge change in me. And I have friends who are like, you are a different person. I, I I'm the latter group on yeah. it. I've, yeah, I, we we spent some nights together. In fact, there was one night after a White House correspondence no, dinner. No, stop, Red, stop. You're not supposed to tell those stories. I'm not going to tell those stories, but I'm just saying that I'm really proud of you. And I think it's great. I really think it's great. And I, I just, I hope you know that you, like, you saved your life and it's beautiful. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I know. You know, I'm really know. proud of you. You're, you're great. Um, thank you. I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right answer. But Marie, so, so for you though, I mean, what is, what is there your early days yet? But I wonder if there's some clarity for you about your relationships and about maybe your craft. Well, yeah, I just, you know, it, it's funny when you sort of decide to go ahead and, you know, give it the heave ho, you just stop thinking about it. It just, that's, that's one of the things I, I'd forgotten. Um, about the nearly immediate like feeling of calm that kind of comes back around like, Oh yeah, I'm not thinking about this anymore. I'm just thinking about all the other stuff, you know, and I like giving all the other stuff, the 100%, the thing you go to sleep thinking about, wake up thinking about and all that. Um, I think, you know, Rhett asked me years ago when he was sort of first, getting sober and everything. And he's kind of asked me about it. And I was at, at that time, I was at a time where I, I was sober. I was in a little sober period uh, that I thought was going to last. And I said, well, you know, I said the, everything just sort of shapes in a different way going forward. It just, you, you don't, you don't think about it. It's just not, it's not around anymore in your, your mind. It doesn't, it, you, you know, I, I, I guess maybe in a way I was just saying like, like, yeah, you think about <laughs> alcohol a lot when you're in, you know, sort of naturally sort of having that lifestyle and all that. Um, 
and everything shapes in a different way going forward. You know, things, things get accomplished that couldn't have been accomplished in the same way before focus happens in, in places that weren't available to you just because of how you sort of built everything and we're, we're living how we were living, you know? And um, yeah, I remember this conversation we had and I, I, I've been thinking about that conversation recently and uh and uh, yeah, it's funny, and, and it's it's just sort of sitting sitting here around me now, and uh, and I'm just you know doing what I always do when I when I'm in that like truly sober state of mind that I'm just back to being task oriented, which is my favorite thing to do. I love tasks. I love obsessing on my own projects and all that, and they give me the great. You know, my, that my family and friends give me the greatest joy in the world. And yeah, and it's kind of back to that, but it's, but it's sort of newly back to that. And uh, so I'm just, at, as I sit here, freshly reminded of all that and I'm back to it and I'm really happy. I had an idea and it's a song Murray sings. Is that, would okay. that be okay? No, only song if they're red <laughs> Set you up for that. Um <laughs> I think it's perfect if it's a song that Marie sings because it does remind people this is a band. So, so, so there's a deep cut um, Murray song. It's not a song that we end up playing live, but it's one of my favorite of Murray's songs. And I think, and I don't want to speak for you, Murray. I think it's about a love relationship, but it feels very much about like, I've always kind of imagined that it could even almost be about me and you. It's a song called this beautiful thing. And it's so oh, okay. It's I so thought you were going to say, uh, "Why don't we ever say we're sorry?" Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Which is about us. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is about us. I, I was going to go for a song that was a little more like hopeful and beautiful, yeah. I guess, <laughs> as like a, a coda, denouement. Right. Um, yeah. But the song people is can beautiful. go search out that other one. But yeah, let's keep it looking. For it. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's keep it on it. Let's end on an up note. So you, um, you you said this beautiful thing, this beautiful thing. I just think yeah. it's really sweet. It's it it and and you're gonna play it so the folks will hear it. But I I really love when he lands on the final verse and he says, uh, "Some old year we will renew the love we had here when we were just two. Yeah, in that moment, I'll say to my friend, "Wouldn't you do it all over again?" Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to, you know, sort of illuminate that that kind of thing with us yeah you know I, i'm quite sure i had a bit of us in there while i was writing that i was writing about gray and i was thinking about having a baby which we hadn't gotten pregnant yet and uh yeah yeah no right you're you're in my relationship off often visits in certain moments in songs because they're great it's a great muse for certain certain things it's yeah. a great muse yeah i've no doubt that that was one of the little butterflies floating around my head when i was working on that well i love you murray i love you too red <laughs> you did well you, you did well with yourself <laughs> and i was right i was a genius i saw that 16 year old i'd gone bam boom he, him yeah him and He's going to do a bunch of pretty great stuff. And I can't think of a literally a better note to end on. 
Thank you both so much. This has been just a joy to talk to you. I think we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> so um, appreciate your your patience in, in covering all that ground and your generosity for sharing your your time with me. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. You're yeah. such a you're such a beam of light and, and such a sweet, complicated human being. And we I just think the world of you. Thanks for having us. And I and I love our chats, Henri. Right. Love our chats. We don't they're they're years apart, but always always enjoy <laughs> enjoy chatting with you. Yeah. And good luck with, with the future stuff, all the change that's happening. All right. We'll uh we'll play out now to this beautiful thing. Remember the year, a look at us then, a day in the life of me and my friend. Nights would come and go on their way, I would stay for another day. Many a sign has risen since then, that many days I've seen her again. She was a whole other star in space, I would stay. Big thanks to Rhett Miller and Mary Hammond, who are touring right now with the Old 97s. If you think they vibed well in this conversation, wait till you see them on stage. And be sure to check out their music on your favorite streaming platforms. This show is a production of Crooked Media. Leslie Martin is our producer. Patrick Antonetti is our audio editor. If you've been listening this month, you know this is the last episode of the show. I haven't made a big deal about it because I refuse to think of this as the end of my relationship with you, dear listener. I am taking a page from Rhett and Murray's recipe for a long lasting partnership and thinking of this as a chance to go do my own thing for a while. There are things I want to do that aren't possible in the boundaries of this podcast, but that doesn't mean I won't be back and I'll know more then, and it'll be even better then. I'll be better then. You'll be better then. And until then, take care of yourselves. <laughs>